0: Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, 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 welcome. We are in the future of now, and if you look ahead just a couple of seconds, that's the future, and after I say the word future, it's already the past. Let's see what we're going to be talking about today. Very excited to be here. Oh, my goodness, who's that newbie at the desk next to you? Take a look. Look to your left. Look to your right. What A robot? That's what we're going to be talking about today. I have a quote from a gentleman who is named Mark W. Tilden, and he's a robot physicist. I've never heard of the term, the job description of a robot physicist, but listen up to what he has to say, and then I'll tell you who our special guests are. So Mark W. Tilden says the following, they record our shows. Cook our food, play our music, and even run our cars. We just don't see it because these robots, quote unquote, don't have a face we can talk to or a butt we can kick. And he adds, I know four things robots can do right now that will change our lives for the future, all in a good way. The first is. Entertainment, done that. The second is grunt work in dangerous places, coming up. That would be a relief for a lot of us in the workplace. That was my parenthetical editorial remark. Third is elder care. And the last but not least is telepresence, shopping, tourism, and assistance. Wow. This was from an article I found in com. It's Mark W. Tilden. So the question on the table today is, how will robots change the workforce as we know it? And how will they change our ability as humans to earn a living in the future? These are important questions. So welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and this is Episode 7, if you're keeping track of our brand-new series, technology revolution, the future of now. And a little bit later in the show, I will be doing an ad for our brand new sponsor. We're thrilled to welcome LinkedIn as a sponsor of the series. So my special guests today are Scott Feldman, independent management consultant, Stephen Reed, he told me I can call him Steve, co-founder at AI Blockchain, that has a dash between them, Kerry Brown, VP of Workforce Adoption at SAP, and Johnny Bourgeois, CTO at AI Blockchain. Title of this episode? is AI at work ready to meet your robot co-workers so without further ado let's have our guests introduce themselves briefly just a little bio so Scott Feldman welcome and thank you for helping me put together this show and Scott tell us a little bit about your background and why this topic is important to you go ahead
2: oh it's my pleasure Bonnie thank you and hi everybody welcome and I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show with you Bonnie thank you. I uh, I've been in technology for better part of two and a half years Decades, and what I've seen in my own life is that uh, this this particular topic is of interest because we've just basically put intelligence into things that were programmed once with uh, with sequences and simple code uh, to the point where we're all actually doing learning technologies and learning techniques. So our 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 areas are getting smarter and smarter. I've, I've spent many many years working in technology, software, working with clients, helping them adopt technology, and uh, you know the <laughs> this is really a great topic because the fear of the the, the robot in a humanoid form is mm-hmm. something that we've been dealing with in the movies for probably 40 or 50 years now or something like this. So yep. I think that we, we really need to come to terms that this is something that's going to be part of our lives for, forever.
1: Thank you. So are you afraid your job as an independent management consultant, Scott, your job would be taken over by a robot at some point? <laughs> what do you think? I, don't,
2: I, don't, I, I certainly hope not. Okay, <laughs> no, we'll leave I, it at no, that. No, wishful scared. thinking. We'll,
1: we'll see what happens. Maybe by the end
2: of the call I might change my mind.
1: We might. Thank you. Let's move around the table to Steve Reed at AI Blockchain. Steve, please introduce yourself, and you can answer the question as well. Do you think your job might be taken over by a robot? Steve, welcome. Oh,
3: oh yes. And hi, Bonnie, and thanks for having me on your show. Delighted. Everyone, I'm I'm Steve Reed, and I'm working on technology that will accelerate the adoption of robots in the workplace by making them more secure, smarter, and easier to talk to. And I see robots everywhere, like you mentioned in your quote. Recently, I toured an Amazon Fulfillment Center in San Marcos, Texas, where robots are coworkers. In Las Mm -hmm. Vegas, I rode the Lyft self-drive car on the Strip. And every day, I use robotic adaptive force control on my car to make driving safer and easier. And yes, I, I would like to see my job taken over by a robot. Namely, my job is crafting Java code. Decades ago, uh, the the duty of of creating the bits that go into computers was was done by software called compilers. Mm-hmm. I'd like to work on the next step that would automate the design of code, uh, in particular.
1: Thank you, Steve. You're bringing back memories. I'm up. A, a- programmer analyst coder from way back in the days. Key Punch, Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 had to step up on a ladder to put the disk pack into the disk holder. It was quite quite a long way back but you, when you said compilers, yes, we were writing compilers when I was being trained. So thank you for that good memory and Steve, pleasure to have you on. Let's move one more stop around the table to Carrie Brown at SAP. Carrie, welcome. Always nice to have you on the show. You've been on many of my game changer shows in the past and why don't you Tell us a little bit about what you do and are you afraid your job is going to be taken over by a robot, Carrie? I'm,
4: I'm not afraid my job is going to be taken over by a robot because I think what I do is too unpredictable and what I do is ah. really focus with our customers on how the employees of their, of, their, of their organizations are going to change. So my litmus test when I look at all of the technology is how will people's jobs change and how do we help them navigate to success with that. And that's different every time. And so when you look at a lot of what robots can help with, some things are are unpredictable. But if I look at my job, I'm not sure that a robot could could necessarily adapt to the human things I bring to my job.
1: Touche, what an interesting answer. Thank you very much. I didn't ask you if you ever want a robot to take your job, but that'll be a different part of the conversation. Thank you, Carrie, And let's move to our fourth chair around the virtual table here. Well, I guess I've got a chair, so I'll be the fifth chair. Johnny Bourgeois at AI Blockchain. Johnny, please introduce yourself to everybody and tell them what you do, and is your job in Threat by a Robot, Johnny?
0: Sure. Good morning, everybody, and uh, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. And gosh... Let's see so I've been been in technology and consulting for probably the past twenty five ish years um, most of that time has been spent working in supply chain and order management uh, software and implementations um, so I've actually witnessed quite a bit of quote unquote robotics in in the workplace and I, I use the word quote because you know Scott when he initially talked about this we all have this vision of you know, a humanoid type figure sitting next to us Mm -hmm. and being that person or that object that we can look at where in reality, you know, robots can be not only physical, but also, you know, bits of code that are put together to do some work. So, and am I afraid of a robot taking over my job? Mm -hmm. Um, Not really. I would would hope that a robot can complement my job.
1: Ah, and compliment with an E, C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T, rather than C-O-M-P-L-I, although I'm sure a lot of people do compliment you on your job with an I. Thank <laughs> you very much, Johnny. I had read recently, oh, m- maybe last year, that uh, everybody from professionals, trained professionals like doctors and lawyers are seeing robots coming into their part of the professional services domain, and that there, it's not just a, a, a factory worker, not just a manufacturing assembly line that are interested in in wondering whether robots will take over their job. So maybe we can cover some of that later. Now's the part of the show where each of my guests has graciously sent me a future-focused quote from a book, a movie, a famous person. I'm going to ask them to each take about a minute and a half and just explain the quote. And I'll read the quote a little bit about the background. So Scott Feldman, you're up first. And Scott sent us a quote from Nelson Mandela. And Nelson Mandela was a South African anti-apartheid revolutionary, political leader, philanthropist, and he was the president of South Africa way back in the last millennium from 1994 to 99. And here's the quote, it always seems impossible until it is done. Scott, what's your take on this?
2: Yeah, well, I'm, Nelson Mandela is one of the individuals in history that I admire and one of my top top lists because of what he tried to do and, and the suffering that he went through personally and then coming out of that in a very positive sense, trying to unite and unify uh, the people in his, his country. So he's he's certainly a, a figure that everyone knows and, and admires, I would hope. Uh, what I love about what he said is um, if, if you always look at a particular task and you determine that uh, there's a negativity surrounding that in terms of the ability f- to accomplish a positive outcome, uh, that's probably not a good way to look at things. Um, and so you can only envision the future, as you talked about this, as show's about the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can only envision the future and then design to achieve that particular goal that you set now to achieve it in the future. And and then you look back and say, oh, that's done, that was easy. So there's there's some interesting implications for this particular topic around robotics and artificial intelligence in terms of attitude. So I think that a lot of people need to set a mindset that it is possible to accomplish goals, even though they're very far-reaching stretch goals. And then you look back years later and you say, oh, well, that was easy. (laughs) So uh, that's, that's why I love this attribution.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Steve Reed sent us a quote from Timbuk3. I had to look them up, Steve. This is not my genre of music. American post-punk band Uh, released six original studio albums between 1986 and 95, best known for the top 20 single. And I'm not going to read the name of the single because I'm going to say, here's the quote Steve Reed has selected from Timbuk3. The future's so bright, I gotta wear shades. And that's the title of the single. Steve, how did you find this quote and what does it mean to us? in terms of the future of now? Well,
3: what it means, Bonnie, is that I have a very poor memory. And quotes like that that I recall have some special significance when I experience them for the first time. And if you'll you'll remember, and it's still the case that Hollywood loves movies about the future in which it's terrible to be alive. The reality is is that the future is wonderful and it wouldn't it be great if we helped bring it about the way we want, which is why I love business shows so much because they portray reality and, and the future is bright, and we're going to make it that way. And robots, when they come, will be helpful. As I mentioned in my first phrase that I rode in a self-driving car on the Strip in Las Vegas, and that's a scary place to drive for someone who doesn't know the Strip well. Of the traffic patterns of everybody looking up the buildings when they should be looking ahead of themselves. And that car could change lanes, and that car was safe, and that car had two people to protect me in case the car did something wrong in the front seat, but they weren't directing where it went. So, yes, I believe the, the future is bright.
1: Thank you. We love the optimism. A- appreciate that. Kerry Brown is next. Kerry sent us a quote from Chuck Nolan. Those of you thinking, who is Chuck Nolan? Did he have a rock band? Was he a philosopher? Was he somebody from the 18th century? No. Chuck Nolan was a FedEx executive in the movie Castaway, played by Tom Hanks. Very well, I might add. It was a year 2000 drama and romance film. I remember it well, especially the crossroads in the last scene, Kerry. Here's the quote Kerry selected. I know what I have to do now. I've got to keep breathing because tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring? Carrie, great quote. How'd you find it? I was really thinking about how do
4: people express the fear around robotics and the fear of the unknown and what to do when they don't necessarily have all the right tools. And when I think back to Tom Hanks playing that character and and I think if anyone saw the movie, they would vividly remember Wilson, his best friend, the volleyball, who mm-hmm. became his best friend, his confidant, his problem solver, and you know when you think about what role robots might play, people don't know what they're going to be, but it might be something so much different to what they're anticipating so Wilson became this partner in in thriving for that character. And robots,
1: I think, are going to do the same thing for people, and yet there's a lot of fear and uncertainty around what that might look like. Thank you very much. Love the quote, and I love the memory of the movie. It was it was quite interesting. Thank you, Carrie. Johnny Bourgeois sent us a quote from The Buggles, and I had to look them up, too. I've heard the name, though, Johnny. The Buggles are an English new wave band formed in London in 1977 by singer and bassist Trevor Horn and keyboardist Jeffrey, with a G, of course, Downs, best known for their 1979 debut single. And here's the quote that Johnny has selected, which is the name of the single, video, Killed the radio star Johnny. Talk to me. Interesting quote. How'd you find this one?
0: Uh, Sure. So uh, you know, I was trying to think of something that would be appropriate in you know in the context here, and this one really was. And and the reason why I chose it appropriately is it's well the very first video that was ever played on MTV when the channel launched. And um, what makes it really relevant here is how this new technology, in, in this case, you know, the medium of television, was going to kill off the radio star, you know, for all the, you know, the old soaps and cereals and that were done on radio. And to some extent it kind of did, um, you know, and some people were put out of work. However, here we are in 2019, um, radio stars are certainly not dead. Uh, people have actually combined those two mediums um, together in unique and exciting ways. You know, take YouTube, for example, um, as a combination of, you know, a home enthusiast or a professional and, you know, professional video crew, professional audio production crew versus, you know, somebody like myself who sits at home with a web camera and, you know, broadcast something. Um, and it's actually, you know, in the future here now, we have something completely different and we have the traditional media of television and radio that are still going. And we now have podcasts, YouTube channels, everything else where anyone, anywhere, at any time can publish their story to the world.
1: Thank you, Johnny. Very interesting. I'm thinking of radio stars, and I'm thinking of my nine-year career as a, as an enterprise radio <laughs> broadcaster, and I'm thinking... <laughs> I don't want I don't want anything to replace me. So there, I'm I'm very happy we came up with that. Thank you very much. Now it's time to welcome our sponsor of this show, LinkedIn, and I have a little story to tell you. If you're a company looking to hire, come on, you know it's not as easy as what we used to do—putting an ad in the paper or putting a job on a job board and posting. When you're juggling hiring with everything it takes, you're trying to grow your business. You have a lot on your plate. It's important that you get to the right candidates at the right time, but how? And this is where LinkedIn comes in. Let me tell you why. LinkedIn is an invaluable tool for inviting (laughs) panelists on this radio series, actually. I meet a lot of people on LinkedIn. I trust LinkedIn to help me find thought leaders who are in the know on a range of future-focused topics. What's going on on LinkedIn today? There are over 600 million LinkedIn members, and they visit the platform for many reasons. They want to make connections, which is how I use it. They want to learn and grow as professionals see who else is out there, and they want to discover new job opportunities. Aha, that's the gold for you if you're looking to hire. LinkedIn members add 15 new skills to their profiles and apply to 35 job posts every two seconds. Now let's do the math. In the time it took me to read every two seconds, that means LinkedIn members have applied to 70 more job posts. It's just a simple equation. So that's how LinkedIn makes sure your job post gets in front of people with the right hard skills. You know what those are. Those are what you're hiring for and the right soft skills to meet your role requirements. You want people who know how to collaborate, who have the work ethic that matches the culture of your company. And today, you need flexibility and adaptability because every industry is in flux. LinkedIn does the legwork for you. They help to match your job posting to the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the right person who will help you transform your business where you need to go. Here is the special offer we have today. To get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash techrev, T-E-C-H-R-E-V, that's short for Technology Revolution, our show. Again, that's linkedin.com. You all know how to do that slash techrev, T-E-C-H-R-E-V, to get $50 off your first job post. Of course, I have to say terms and conditions apply. And now back to our show. So welcome again to LinkedIn. And a quick shout out to my my co-producer, Ryan Treasure, VP of broadcast at World Talk Radio Voice America. Now it's time in the show for me to start reading the predictions that my esteemed guests have sent us about our topic. Our topic today is AI at work, ready to meet your robot co-workers, me, Maybe you are, maybe you're not. We're going to find out what this all means. Again, my very special guests are Scott Feldman, an independent management consultant. Uh, We have Stephen Reed at AI Blockchain. We have Carrie Brown at SAP. And we have Johnny Bourgeois also at AI Blockchain. So, Scott Feldman, I'm going to start off by reading your number one prediction. I'll pick one from each of you. We'll just keep going around the table. So, Scott's prediction number one is robots will become more commonplace in the workplace. Scott. Scott. Give me a sixty to ninety second overview. What does this mean to us?
2: I really think that's true, and, and and I think that's reality. We're going to see not just the you know the the humanoid form of a robot sitting next to you, taking you know writing down notes or typing into a computer and taking phone calls and, and things like this, but we have digital assistants. We have digital technology. Robots are governed by and. And pre- presented intelligently by artificial intelligence. Uh, one of the advantages of having robots do a lot of work for us in the workplace is cost. I mean, robots mm-hmm. sometimes are much cheaper than, and how it's designed than humans, and the cost is also decreasing. What's interesting is there is an example of, uh, of an organization in the UK that was doing an essay writing service using robotics to perform research on of myriad of topics i'm sure that even the sponsor that you mentioned has some robotics even even built into mm-hmm. their algorithms on the back end Uh, And then there's some obvious uh, areas of of coverage like manufacturing. We we all know that on the production line for industrial manufacturing, robots are used quite extensively because they can do things, like you said, go into dangerous places, withstand heat, run forever, 24-7 with a little maintenance uh, time. And and they could also lift, uh, for example, heavy loads much much stronger and much faster than humans are. And it depends on the particular design. So in the workplace, and it depends on the, you know, most of us that are in technology work in offices, but many of our customers and our clients work in manufacturing, work in industry, work out in the field, and and robots and robotics are utilized quite extensively and will continue to do so. Now, there's also some... Impact So in certain scenarios, there might be an increase of unemployment in a particular mm-hmm. area, depending on how that is displaced by technology and robotics. So, uh, but I think that there's not going to be uh, a decrease of overall employment. I think there's going to be just a shift of what people are going to be doing in terms of their opportunity to, to gain employment and to, to uh, perform their roles in a different way if they're going to be replaced at some point in time.
1: Thank you, Scott. And I think the key word in what you just said was opportunity, opportunity for humans to find other ways to use their intelligence or their hands or whatever their job involves, either or, or accommodation thereof, and find those opportunities and get retrained, re-skilled, or just – come up with something new they want to do for their work life. Thank you. Let's go to Steve Reed at AI Blockchain. Steve's number one prediction. Big changes are expected from AGI that's artificial general intelligence and robots will happen after we make the huge investment of teaching engineering and design skills to the AGI. Steven, can you unpack this for me please? Interesting prediction.
3: Sure, Bonnie. As as the audience may know, robots every year are growing. The industry thinks that growth rate's about 14, 15, 16 percent a year for as far as in the future as they can see. With given types of technologies that help robots fit into more more use cases, right now the activity in robots is in manufacturing, logistics, and healthcare. Manufacturing, those are the kinds of paint spraying robots that you've in videos logistics like the amazon fulfillment center I, I could discuss or healthcare which is most recently i was in houston at a hospital and i saw a security robot in the in the hospital and that was one of many robots that are probably in that hospital and i think of the of the three of those the hospitals healthcare is most interesting because the robots are the most sophisticated They operate under the most dire situations of human medical care. And there's a lot of money to be spent in health care as compared to making a car, one car drive a bit better. So what I'm talking about with artificial general intelligence is that it's not yet been really applied to robotics. Mm -hmm. Robots, like the fulfillment robots, know exactly where they are on the warehouse floor, and they can prevent collisions. And they can cooperate to optimize the best path, best path to the picker, the human coworker. But with AGI, if there's a chance and the likelihood that the robots will understand what they're looking at, what they're feeling, what they're picking up, all the sensors of the Internet of Things will be connected to them through a variety of different vendor networks that have been made to interoperate. And in that way, the robots will have a much more dramatic capability and be able to fit into many, many more use cases. And I think the growth rate of 14% a year will go by the wayside, and robot advancement will be much quicker and much more universal uh, once we have artificial general intelligence capabilities in robots. And, And the kinds of things I'm talking about, the kinds of things I'm working on specifically, are the ability to talk to robots in English. And for them to tie their understanding of the world to a generalized knowledge base, which lets them understand um, and do inferential reasoning on the objects that, that they're dealing with in their domain.
1: Thank you very much, Thank Steve. While you were speaking, I looked up about lawyers, lawyers, doctors being replaced. You mentioned healthcare, and there is actually a website called willrobotstakemyjob.com. And underneath it, I think it has all different, uh, different categories of professional jobs, other jobs, and you can actually vote on the website. I was not aware of that until I looked it up. Thank you, Carrie Brown at SAP. I have your number one prediction here is the perfect storm of changing workforce and innovation. Carrie, tell me more, please. I don't think anybody can escape what's happening right now. So if you look at the demographics
4: changes in the workforce, where by 2020, it's 50% millennials, by 2025, it's 75% millennials, and there's Mm -hmm. boomers retiring at multi-thousands a day, and, and that will peak at around 2021. So every workforce is changing, and every organization is being faced by a shift in who works for them, and who's going to work for them. Coupled with that, AI, robotics, machine learning are all showing up and being able to look at how to augment, complement, change, shift, replace jobs. And so really the the interesting thing to me is where's the intersection of all of that innovation by industry and by jobs so we can figure out who's impacted when and how exactly to that website you talked about, what's different in healthcare versus retail versus banking versus manufacturing. And what's interesting, I think, is as you look at the... The widespread touch and reach of that, um, both you know, Kai Fu Lee, who who wrote the book AI Superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. I saw him interviewed recently, and he said he predicted that forty percent of jobs in the next ten to fifteen years can go away. McKinsey said the same thing, forty-five percent, and yet to the point of the artificial general intelligence that was just being spoken about, McKinsey also says that while fifty-one percent of job activities can be automated, only Less than 5% of jobs are entirely replaceable by machines. Mm. And so that's really, I think, the the interesting thing is not will we be touched, will we be impacted? Yes, absolutely will. But then how might that impact our individual job, our industry, you know, or the, the geography or the country or the space that we live in?
1: Thank you, Carrie. And that was one of my, in my opening, that was one of my questions, is how will we as humans, I'm assuming everybody on this call is human. I don't know. Maybe we have a robot on the panel today. I didn't even think about that. You all sound really good, though, and very friendly. Uh, how will humans find our place in the workforce? And, and and an interesting question I'll raise at the end of the show, I'll go around the table if I can remember, is Will we invest in robots' salaries? Will we, will, basically, will we invest in, okay, there's Bob the robot and he's doing this amazing job and he's earning a lot of money and can I take up a a share? Can I own stock in Bob and have passive income coming to me? I just thought about this when I was prepping the show. Nobody has to answer that right now, but I thought it'd be fun to ask. So now you know. Johnny Bourgeois, I'm up to your first prediction. You say you just interacted with AI and you had no idea. This is a prediction. Tell me how this is going to work, Johnny.
0: Sure. So you kind of actually just hinted on it um, when you asked, gee, I wonder if there's anybody on this call who is a robot. <laughs> um, and, and that's really what it's going to turn into, right? You know, at the beginning of the call, Stephen and, and Scott both mentioned, you know, robots in the workplace. And, you know, we've mentioned Bob sitting next to us, who is the robot. Right. And mm-hmm. you know with the artificial general intelligence these robots are going to be learning and, you know, we will be sending them, you know, they'll gain improvements in their natural language algorithms, uh, their contextual interpretations. And the more they do so, the more quote unquote human they're going to sound. So when I have a conversation, be it a customer service call or, you know, I'm calling up to inquire about the um, diagnosis that just, you know, I got for my health care, whatever the case may be, you know, conversational nuances, um, you know, mm-hmm. maybe integration of local dialects. So a lot of these things are going to make the, that AI, that robot completely indistinguishable from the human operator. So it really is something that's coming. And, you know, a lot of these things you're doing now, when you, example, when you look at these chat bots that you have, when you inquire about an order status, chances are real, real good. That's not human behind that. That's a, Piece of software that's going and looking in the back end and saying, "Hey, where's John's order? Oh, it's sitting in the UPF facility in Austin, Texas." Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's you know that's what you get as a reply back. Now, they're not real smart at this point, but that's some of the stuff that I happen to be working on, and you know with uh, Stephen in AI blockchain putting these things together. Um, so as a, you know, as they get smarter, as they get more intelligent. We as humans will likely have no idea we just talk to a robot.
1: There you go. Okay, let's just take a quick break and go around the table. Where are you all located, and what are you? What's your favorite beverage that powers you? I, I'm assuming you're all human. If if you're a robot, you don't even have to tell me. But what do you what do you love to drink? This is a, a throwback. Carrie knows she's been on my Game Changer shows. Uh, I just like to know a little bit about you personally. So let's go around the table. Scott. What?
2: Yeah, I'm in Philadelphia. In Pennsylvania, where finally it's not raining, (laughs) because almost every day. Give me a robotic prediction algorithm, which we can tell if it's not going to rain for a while.
1: (laughs) Other than a live uh, weather person who doesn't have any idea. I'm sorry. Go
2: ahead. It would be really great. Maybe we can get a little more accuracy around that with robotic interjection. Um, And I'm drinking my favorite. It's a smoky Earl Grey tea, which I understand the Queen of England is her favorite. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, she has a busy day today. We won't talk politics, but she's going to be receiving uh, two people—the outgoing and the incoming. We'll just leave it at that. Yes. I wonder what the Queen is drinking to power. Yes. Her. Steve, so Steve Reed. Well, she
2: probably started her day with a smoky old gray. So just she,
1: like, <laughs> she, probably <laughs> so
2: in, did. In honor I'll of politics over in England, I'm, I'm I'll tell her you said so. <laughs> and I wonder what <laughs> Meghan
1: Markle is drinking. Steve Reed, where are you and what do you love to drink? Just curious.
3: Honey, I'm in. Conifer, Colorado, and I drink strong black coffee.
1: Ooh, any favorite brand you have?
3: Oh, it's terrible. I drink uh, Nescafe instant uh, coffee, which is uh, easy and quick to make.
1: I haven't heard that word in so many years. <laughs> Thank you for the throwback. Do you put anything in it to doctor it up?
3: I, If, if I make it strong enough, which is usually like four to one, I'll put a little bit of milk in it to dim the uh, bitter taste. (laughs) Thank
1: you very much. That was a reality check. Carrie Brown, where are you and what do you love to drink just for fun?
4: Today I am in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, and coffee is such a letdown that I'd never drink it because it smells fantastic but doesn't taste like that. (laughs) Uh, I'm a tea drinker. Today I drank mint tea. I am also a fan of Earl Grey and... And rumor has it that the Queen actually drinks uh, something involving gin at lunch, so today maybe she'll take that on.
1: Ooh, I think she's going to need it today. I am not going to get into the political commentary on that, but I think that's a good guess. Thank you very much. We'll let her do do a little tipple, I think they call it. And Johnny Bourgeois, where are you, and what do you love to drink?
0: (laughs) Excuse me, sure. So I'm actually right across the river from Scott. I'm in South Jersey, Um, and I'm also exceptionally thankful that... it is considerably cooler today than it has been. We've, like the rest of the country, have been suffering from a pretty awful heat wave over the past few days, and it's nice that it finally broke. And Stephen, what you're drinking is not coffee.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yes, <laughs> laughing is about. allowed on the show. That was that was a good one. <laughs> what, what are you drinking? <laughs>
0: So, uh, I actually do drink coffee and, uh, it's a, I have mine black as well, um, but I use either a drip or a French press and, you know, depending on the, depending on how much time I have to put it together. But I, God, I, I don't think I've had instant coffee since, um, since I got in an MRE when I was serving in the Marines. So.
1: <laughs> it does go back. I remember my mother kept a jar of, of Nescafe on the shelf. Steve, it just, it takes me back to, I was talking about my days as a programmer on a step stool putting the disc back in the drive. What can I say? I'm in Durham, look, North look Carolina. It. And uh, we have had a break in the heat, but our real field temperature last week and even up to a couple of days ago was 110. You just didn't even want to go outside, period, not even for 10 seconds. It was just brutal dry heat. And we had a break, and I think last night it dipped down into the low 60s. I actually turned the air conditioning off for a couple of hours yesterday, but we were paid back with huge thunderstorms and lightning, and we had a windstorm. I'll just drop this in, and then we're going to get ready for predictions number two. Uh, round number two. Last week, we had a windstorm with such velocity and ferocity that a neighbor's backyard umbrella, you know, the kind that you put in a, a concrete block in the ground, you have a post that comes up in the umbrella and you put table and chairs around it the umbrella lifted out of its post it went airborne over her neighbor's house over the roof it traveled additionally another lot over my roof and landed outside my front door with the umbrella upside down and the steel post was tossed into my garden five feet away i kid you not that was the force of the wind we had in Durham, North Carolina. It was, I opened the door just to see what the rain was doing, and there is this huge, with about an eight-foot spread, umbrella that was even unliftable. And three days later, I found a steel post in the garden. It was quite amazing. Nobody was hurt, and we had a roofer check to make sure we were okay and nothing was broken. But it was quite a shock, so we had quite a windstorm, and that's my, not my life living in North Carolina. And I only drink water on radio show days, so there we go. Let's go back to a... AI and robots at work. Uh, Scott Feldman, prediction number two. You say, like it or not, we need robots to help us in our personal lives. What are you talking about?
2: Well, we do. Well, I'll tell you a little personal story. So, uh, not too long ago, I had some surgery and it was a procedure that was done uh, robotically. And what was interesting is uh, the the doctor offered a number of different options and one of them was using robots. And I said, robots, what's that? So, there was a and this is probably pretty more common than I thought, that uh, the procedure was actually done by the physician. And, uh, you know, the, he's technically a surgeon, and he did mm-hmm. that process. And he was actually physically standing about 10 feet away, I found out later, from where I was mm-hmm. uh, performing a surgery using a robot that was uh, taking care of whatever the procedure was that had to be done for, to me that was on me. But he was almost like, you know, if you learn as a physician, I guess, to play video games in <laughs> <laughs> You can, you can almost become an expert at doing what needs to be done. It's almost like the drone flyers. I mean, you have to go to drone flying school to learn how to fly a drone, so you place it to the exact position that you want it. So the good news is this is a while ago, so the good news is the outcome was great, but robots are really impacting our personal lives, and it's all, it's all good if it's done in a positive way and it's used in, in, in a way that can actually help us.
1: Thank you. Hopefully the surgeon is not watching video games while he physically as a human is operating. you. <laughs> reminds, reminds me, me interesting training, of a training, though friend I had on Long Island before I moved here, a, a dear friend who, who came on my TV show with his wife and his surgeon, and he had robotic prostate surgery, and he they talked about how the surgeon was, again, about 10 feet away, and the robot was doing the surgery and how successful it was and the advantages. So, yes, still going on, and, and hopefully everybody is That's better right. off for it. Thank you yeah, very what much. I
2: was, what I was yep. and what, what I went through was interesting to me. That there was an, a combination of human and mechanical interaction, mm-hmm. which was symbiotic. So, yes. so I like that word symbiosis. So maybe there is like some kind too. of opportunity for us to have some symbiotic relationship with the machines that we're creating to create a better outcome. Human one plus one is symbiosis. More than two.
1: I like that. Mr. Stephen Reed, Steve Reed, prediction number two, the progress in deep learning for perception and decision-making under uncertainty is a launch pad for applying symbolic approaches. You've got to unpack that for me. Steve, what are we talking about?
3: Sure. Let me take you back to this Amazon Fulfillment Center Mm
1: -hmm.
3: in San Marcos, Texas. It's a a four-story building about the size of an airplane hangar spread out. It's huge, and it, and it, it, it has hundreds of workers in it. Maybe thousands over several shifts, but but what what's striking about it is the long line of of trucks coming into it and the long line of trucks coming out of it, uh, coming in are bulk merchandise packages and outbounder orders ready to go to distribution centers. Inside, you've got robots, robot coworkers who manipulate the inventory on shelving that can be maneuvered around on a on a perfectly flat, perfectly smooth floor by these robots mobile uh, shelf movers, the people are involved every step that the package has to be touched or the mm-hmm. merchandise has to be touched because the robots are not, they, we were told that they're not yet good enough to handle the packages at an acceptable damage rate. Now, mm. given the margins that Amazon operates under, which are a fraction of a percent of profit on a, on a retail sale, if it's, they're terribly tight margins. The damage rates are probably infinitesimal. I'm guessing if, if one package in a couple hundred gets damaged by a robot, well, that's unacceptable. So they have to be perfect before they can, they can take the last remaining human jobs in the fulfillment center handling packages. And that's what I'm talking about here, about symbolic approaches. The, you, the ability me. to handle a package mm-hmm. with with yeah. artificial fingers, artificial hand, or suction machine, or any kind of any kind of actuator, they can get on the package, is reco- is going to require some knowledge about the package. It's going to require all the different kinds of things that could be handled by the robot. There's going to have to be a knowledge base, and that's where the artificial general intelligence t- techniques of deductive reasoning come into play. Once you have a knowledge base, then the robot can know the particular properties and attributes of the of the merchandise and know how to pick it up. That's what I'm trying to say in this prediction: is that when that step occurs, it's a it's a big step up in capability. And since it's software, it's easily replicated. So once we make that big step, it's not a big investment for it, for it to be adopted by all sorts of robotic and software vendors around the world. And, and it's, it's not sure when that step is going to occur, but I believe it will, it will occur soon because the, this, the so-called uh, deep learning for perception, that's the ability to recognize that an image is my face or an image is a particular object, that, that, that's pretty well understood. In the last few years, that, tech, that technology is now off-the-shelf, pluggable. We use it; uh, we can use it from Amazon Cloud, for example, in our own work. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's what I mean by, by that prediction, is that we will, we will see a dramatic increase in the ability of robots, and they'll be able to do jobs that they can't do now, and particularly in fulfillment centers. Amazon will be a leader when, when we start to use knowledge-based approaches with robotics.
1: Thank you, Steve. Very interesting. Carrie, I moved some of your predictions around because your number three was where I want to go next, and it's from Patrick Schwertfeger. I looked him up. He has started and built small business ventures. He's a motivational keynote speaker. And here's what he said. I believe you're quoting him. Four new trends in AI impacting 8% of the workforce or about 12 million workers. Facial recognition? natural language processing, auto checkout and autonomous driving. Carrie, you want to give us a little overview on these four job changers?
4: I do, and and I think they're just, you know, they're things that we can all relate to and we've mentioned on this call a number of times, but if, you know, if you think about Walmart and looking at putting in uh, automatic checkout, that affects 3.4 million cashiers in the United States. Autonomous driving, while it's, you know, 3.5 million commercial drivers three percent of jobs in every country of the world are affected by that. So when you start to think of how will this affect me and how might that affect the way I live, you know, the facial recognition that was just being spoken about a moment ago, there are plans underway for thinking about as you go through security at airports or train stations or stadiums for football so that you can make sure things are safe and also process more quickly. So it's really it's something we're living with and, and playing with all the time and seeing more and more. When we were talking about bots, there's an interesting uh, stat from Gartner that they say by 2020, which is, you know, next year, the average person will have more conversations with bots than their spouse. So we can insert, you know, a divorce joke there somewhere. But when you think about the interplay we have with machines and AI, the other piece of that is, you know, how... To, the, to some of the previous speakers, how do they become that symbiosis or that complement? And the, the research I, that you mentioned earlier, Bonnie, that I saw where you looked at that combination mm-hmm. was around radiology and the fact yep. that the best results are a combination of a robot reading it and then a specialist looking at it as well. And that combination had a better outcome than either just people or just robots. So really, how do we play together? So that as all of this technology comes in, we, be, we get safer, we get faster, we get easier in terms of the way we live our lives um, and perhaps cheaper and better as well.
1: I, I like the way you built that out, Carrie, and, and basically saying it's going to be good if we do it the right way, the combination. And somebody mentioned before complimenting a job versus, hey, you're doing a good job, complimenting. Thank you for that. I really appreciate the the references to the gentleman we quoted here. And let's get one more prediction. I think we have time for one more round the table if we go fast. But Johnny Bourgeois has his second prediction here. His transportation industry saves billions as AI improves routing. Johnny? Johnny, talk to me. Very interesting.
0: Sure. I think we've actually touched on a lot of the you know scenarios that have led to this prediction, which are you know we have autonomous vehicles, we have mm-hmm. um, robotics, you know, moving goods around, moving goods and services, and this is really and a lot of this we're seeing now. We see it, um, for example, IBM has a product they call the Order Optimizer that utilizes a you know a very large big data set to evaluate sourcing options for things and, and it makes choices based upon you know past behaviors and the outcomes of those behaviors so we're going to see huge savings in cost for routing for of, of goods for you know um, the transportation industry for supply chain in general um, you know the, excuse me they'll be taking things like uh the, Real-time weather updates, real-time traffic updates, real-time um, fuel costs, even into account to say, okay, let's get you know instead of just going straight down I seventy to get to where we need to be, we might pull off of I seventy and take a, a different um, different highway or even some back roads, which you normally wouldn't want to take. However, in this case, it's going to be more cost-effective because. There's a traffic situation up ahead on I-70. There's a uh, weather situation a little bit south of us, and the fuel on this route actually happens to be a little bit cheaper than it would have been had we gone straight. So, you know, in this case, the the fact is the most cost-effective route to get goods from point A to point B really is not a straight line.
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting, taking so many factors into account. Let's do a quick round of your third prediction from each of you. And let's see if we keep it to 60 seconds because I do have a lightning round at the end I want to do. So, Scott Feldman, prediction number three, robots will impact areas we never thought possible. And you're talking about baseball leagues. So give me a 60-second overview. How will robots be part of baseball?
2: Well, this is quite fascinating to me. There's an article that came out a couple weeks ago this month in the Washington Post about one of the minor league teams that is allowing a robot to actually call the balls and strikes instead of an umpire doing that. So there's a photograph, which is great because it shows you a picture of the umpire and the catcher, and the catcher's ready to receive a ball. And the first ball that was actually thrown in this game was a strike, and it was an ambiguous strike, and it was called a strike. But the umpire has an earpiece in his ear, (laughs) so he's being told. By a robot, whether it's a ball or a strike, and he just repeats what is Get told. Out. Wow. And this is true. So, what's interesting is now umpires have unions, <laughs> so maybe there's some <laughs> job protection <laughs> built into some other legal mechanisms that we build into contracts, and that's a good oh. thing, possibly. Robot but you... computer, A computer or robotic mechanism, which is a, a computer, right? running with a panel that's above the home plate mm-hmm. designed by a firm and after it was tested it was brought into a live regular season competition game in a minor league baseball and now MLB has signed a 3-year agreement with the uh what's called the Atlantic League to put experimental rules in place to have a faster game, baseball, a lot of a lot of complaints about baseball in America is that it's a too slow. It's just a slow-paced game. Mm-hmm. It's not fast enough. Well, if a robot can call balls and strikes, you can do it instantly and maybe feed it, you know, speed up the pace of the game a little bit and get a better experience for everyone. So... Robots will be here in areas that we probably never thought they would. (laughs) Thank you very much. We may need to do a whole whole show
1: on robots and sports. Thank you, Scott. Steve, quickly, number three prediction. Robots, starting with the military, listen up, everybody, important, will encrypt and make it impossible to falsify communications among robots and with remote sensors. Workplace robots will be difficult to spoof and hack. That sounds like a beautiful thing. Steve, tell me briefly, what does this all mean?
3: Well, the future's so bright, you got to wear shades. Uh, look, we, we want we want we want robots in the military to be ethical, and to protect the the safety of the civilians and the safety of soldiers outside of military operations and within military operations. And so, it's quite clear that the military is going to be an advanced workplace for robotics. It's probably every soldier has seen a robot. And and we're going to encrypt them, and and the blockchain is going to make it impossible to falsify data. So if there's a if there's a record of some military potential atrocity or some military good thing, that record's not going to be falsified. It's going to be blockchained with a little bit of math to make it evidence if it's necessary to bring it up in a court.
1: Thank you. Interesting. Carrie, I'm going to, what was your number four prediction? Because I like this. You say AI will create 58 million new jobs by 2022, according to the World Economic Forum 2018 report. Carrie, unpack this for me briefly. What do you see?
4: Well, with all the chicken little, the sky is falling of all the jobs that will go away. (laughs) There's some good news, you know, where the jobs are coming from. So while, yes, the sky is falling and the world is changing, you know, think back to farming with, you know, in the Industrial Revolution, so many jobs went away but yet there's more jobs in farming now than there were then. They're just different kinds of jobs. And so I think when you look at the possibility and the opportunity, it's interesting. Recently, uh, a senior executive at SAP, Adair Foxmart, got to interview uh, Jai Chi Ito, the MIT Media Lab lead, and they were talking about how now AI, deep learning, robotics, and all of that data that's available in the world, we can now manage all of that complexity to change the experience that we live through and to change and manage and respond to the hyper personalization that we're all used to in, in the Amazon examples that we shared earlier in our shopping and in our living and as a consumer. So I think as you look at where will the jobs go, what will the resume of the future be? Um, LinkedIn, I know at South by Southwest it did some work on what will the resume of the future be and as did mm-hmm. we. And so. Thinking about, you know, where is that robot physicist? Where is a robot choreographer? What are the jobs, the data storyteller that we haven't even seen what those jobs might be yet, but that are needed for us to interact and coexist with robotics and other machines and technologies that that are
1: going to become increasingly part of our lives. Thank you, Carrie. We have just 60 seconds for Johnny before we go to our very, very fast lightning round. Johnny, you say AI has the ability to learn, but will not become self-aware. Uh-oh, talk to me
0: sure. So I think this is the the ultimate fear, right? I mean, you look at popular movies, popular science fiction, popular books, and there's always the, you know, the evil overlords, right? I mean, take Terminator as an example. AI became self aware and then blew up all of humanity. Um, you know, and it's just it, it's just not going to happen, right? I mean, we have a lot of examples of AI that exist now. I mean, we all remember seeing Watson on Jeopardy. Beat Ken Jennings and the rest of the best Jeopardy players. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook and Carnegie Mellon just did a a joint venture where they put an AI poker playing bot out there, and it beat some of the world's top professional poker players. Mm-hmm. Um, even learning how to bluff and, and you know bluff more mm-hmm. consistently and better than the professional players did. So, you know, those are all great, and, and they all learned how to do these. And these AIs are learning from you know their experiences. But that same AI is not going to be able to teach itself how to play the piano or how to write, you know, or how to create a masterful piece of art. It's just not within the skill set. So that's
1: all that meant. Thank you, Johnny. Appreciate that. What great predictions. We got three from each of you. I'm very impressed we move so quickly. I have two lightning round questions. Each question will have a yes or no from my guests. That's all. And Maybe we'll do a second show in a couple of months on on these questions. Will we see robot CEOs by 2025? Scott Feldman, yes or no? No. (laughs) Steve Reed, yes or no? No. Carrie Brown, yes or no? That'd be a no again. Okay, Johnny Bourgeois, (laughs) yes or no?
0: I guess we're making it unanimous
1: no. Okay. All right. I'm not going to weigh in on that. And second question, which I alluded to earlier, if we have high earning robots, I don't know who would, whether it's a Bitcoin, that's another conversation, another show. If they're earning a lot of money, replacing the human part, let's say of medicine, of, of law, of, of, I don't know, of um, creative people, okay? Will we able, be able to buy shares in the robot's income so that we can enjoy that as passive income if they have, quote unquote, taken our jobs? I know it's a big question, but but let's have a simple yes or no. Scott Feldman.
2: <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, th- I think the robots might be able to launch their own exchange, so the, the answer is maybe yes. <laughs> okay,
1: all right. I just came up with that during the show. Steve Reed, what do you think, yes or no?
3: If the software is protected or the patent is protected, then yes.
1: Oh, okay. Carrie Brown, what do you think? I guess I'm
4: thinking the robots are part of whoever it is that they're representing, so you'd still buy shares and whoever it is that they are
1: helping make ah, it successful. Good point. Johnny Bourgeois, you get the last word on this before I close.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with a yes on this one.
1: Okay, I came up with an interesting question. See, you all sparked my, my brain to think creatively outside the box. Reminder to our listeners, we're welcoming LinkedIn as a sponsor of this series, and to get $50 off your first job post if you're looking to hire on LinkedIn, go to LinkedIn.com slash TechRev. That's T-E-C-H-R-E-V. That's LinkedIn.com slash TechRev. Rev, $50 off your first job post, and just take a look. And the offer has no limit on it. There is was no time limit on this. So even if you're listening to the show on demand, which will be up in a few, in a a couple of hours here, we welcome you to take advantage of that offer. I want to say thank you to Scott Feldman. Thank you, Scott, for suggesting the topic, for putting it together with me. Steve Reed, pleasure to meet you. Carrie Brown, always delightful to have you on. Johnny Bourgeois, glad to have you on. Love the deep voice you should do radio. Shout out to my co-producer, partner in crime, Ryan Treasure, VP of Broadcast at World Talk Radio Voice America, and Aaron Keller, our engineer, extra Extraordinaire. Thank you very much. We're out of time. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Everybody, just have a great day. And remember, technology revolution, the future of now. As soon as you say the word now, it already happens. So let's see what we can all do collectively to make it a bright future. Have a great day. Bye-bye.